Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence on a gray Wednesday afternoon uh, with a threat of wintry mix tonight. It feels like the basketball season more and more as we get deeper into the weather. Uh, I am joined today by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen, Coity, how we living? We're we're living. It's 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 yep, winter, wintry mix on the way. I saw the sign going down one forty six today. Oh yeah. We're we're living in New England in in the winter again. I, I won't out Coit specifically in terms of the town that he lives in, but he is firmly in the Rhode Island snow belt. <laughs> uh, so he could see some flakes a little earlier than than most of us. Uh, me being in Warwick, I, I think we'd get you know, more of the rain slash freezing rain side of, of things, perhaps. Uh, I tend to like a little snow. I like that. I do like it. It's a little festive. It feels quiet. It's cleaner. It just, I, I like it. <laughs> like the Rhode Island snow belt. I've never heard that. That's funny. Yep. North Smithfield, Cumberland, Barville, Foster Gloucester, like that northwest corner of the state that always gets the thunderstorms yeah. in the summer. Mm-hmm. They always tend to get the snow before the rest of us do as well. All right. Well, you're right. I, now I'm thinking all the thunderstorms that come through the summer. We usually get hit pretty hard up there. So, yeah. There, there's something about being further away from the water. It's just a couple degrees warmer where you are, and mm. it's just more likely to break out for whatever sure. reason. Sure. And, and I think in the winter it is the reverse of that. It's actually a few degrees warmer by the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your... 30-second science lesson, folks. We, we will get out of that, and we will get into why we are here, and that is for college hoops. Uh, we will start, Coity, going back to Saturday, which was the renewal of the rivalry series in the state between URI and Providence, a 66-52 win for the Friars, uh, a game that had not played, had not been played two days shy of two years. Uh, you know, we'd waited for this one since December 2019, uh, the atmosphere never fails to to live up to what we expect it to be. Uh, the game itself, I think, played out somewhat similar to what we expected it to be as well. Uh, you know, the Friars imposing their will. Uh, the way I wrote it for the journal was they had four good stretches to URI's two, and, and that was the difference in the game. Um, you know, Coit, I, I just wonder general thoughts on the atmosphere and on being back at that game specifically. The, the atmosphere was wonderful. It was wonderful. I, it was... Uh... It was something we all missed, um, and you, you could just feel it leading up to it. The, the day before, the morning of, you know, I, I know Steve Napolillo and, and the, the Friar crew were, were working really, really hard to make it a great atmosphere over there, which they did. They, they even had a light show at, at halftime, go figure. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> that's right. Um, it, it was, you know, it, it was great to walk in there and see a sold-out, packed Dunkin' Donuts Center again. There was just that you had seen all the social media back and forth between the two fan bases all week. Oh, and there was plenty. And then you put them in the same building again and it, it there was just a feel to it. And even with even with the players, you could feel there's always just some emotion attached to this game because of the rivalry because the two fan bases care so much. So it makes the players say, all right, well, we want to win this thing. We want our fans to be happy for the next year. We want the bragging rights. And, um, yeah, when you walked out there, like Billy Gilman did the the national anthem, which was stellar. Wow, he was usual. great, wasn't he? Stellar. And it just it set the scene for what was a great day of college hoops. And you're right, Bill. It was, it was two 
two back and forth sort of stretches. I think the middle of the first half is when, you know, Rhodey made its push, and then Providence went on a run. And then again, Rhodey made a small push in the second half, and Providence went on a run. And you're right, it was it was the physicality, it was just the the physical strength, I think, that the Friars had that that sort of bullied the the Rams around, which I thought we we thought would happen. Um, did we think that and well, I guess we did think. We always talk about a player that emerges in these games. And and I think on, on Saturday, I would have to, to give that nod to Ed Croswell for basically carrying that first stretch at the end of the first half and giving the Friars an up separation where even when Rhodey made its push in the second half, it, it may have been a little too late because Croswell had already put his stamp on the game. What a week for Ed Croswell. Yeah. You know, not just Saturday, but but Wednesday in the win over Texas Tech. Uh, he was immense in that game as well, coming off the bench, especially in the first half. Um, Croswell against the Rams, 13 points, 15 rebounds, 8 on the offensive glass. Um, when Providence made their run into halftime, it was Croswell scoring 11 points in the last 554 of the first half. That was after you or I went on a 15-0 run to take their first and, and what turned out their only lead of the game. They were up by three, and all of a sudden Providence just turns it. And you're thinking, whoa, yeah, where did this come from? Here's Ed Croswell, transfer from LaSalle, um, guy who was billed as an elite offensive rebounder who could finish around the rim, and as I wrote for the journal, who maybe could use a little more time in the weight room, You know, maybe just advance his body a little bit physically. You look at what he did on Saturday, his skill sets were on display. The offensive glass, he's five for six from the field. But now he's got the physical component as well. After a summer of boxing workouts at home in Philadelphia, he looks like a Big East athlete at this point. He does not look like a guy who was recruited to one of the bottom-tier teams in the Atlantic 10. Um, and was a huge factor on a day where Nate Watson only had seven points and, and two rebounds. I think essentially you still got the front court production you would have expected to get. You just got it from a completely different guy than you would have expected to get it from. Um, you know, I, I'll make a baseball analogy in this game, Coity, j- just for you. Thank you. Because for, for <laughs> folks who, who follow the pod or folks who don't know, uh, Coit was an excellent high school baseball player in Massachusetts who went on to play in college. Uh, you don't have to say the word. No, no, no. It's not true. No, it's true. <laughs> played at a... A championship level in Plymouth, uh, made deep state tournament runs. Um, you know, was on one of those dynastic type teams that, that you read about and hear about who would play like, you know, across borders and whatever else. This game to me, you or I look like a team who had faced a bunch of pitchers who threw 80, and all of a sudden they're facing a guy throwing 90 yeah. in this game. Whereas Providence has already faced three or four guys who threw 90. And so when you turned up the dial in this game, they were much more comfortable from start to finish. Battle-tested. Battle-tested, battle-tested, battle-tested. And it was evident in that game. Um, it, it, the, the schedule has been, for the Friars, you've been able to be challenged in the non-conference early. And the Friars have, I, they have capitalized. I think the maturity of this group has shown in the fact that they've been able to take those experiences and maybe even the experiences that they had from a previous season, from last year, some of the things that happened in Big East play, because a lot of these guys returned, and they've been able to build off of those. Um, you know, whether it's going to Wisconsin on the road 
a a power opponent and winning at their place, mm-hmm. or even even a Northwestern is in a is in a big conference. And okay, it's not going on the road and beating Wisconsin, but it's still a power opponent that what two seasons ago you lost to. They recruit Big Ten guys. Yeah. Period. Yeah, and they and they took they took their shots from these teams, and you know the only exception was the Virginia game, and you just. You happen to fall into the quicksand of the Cavaliers early in a neutral site game, and it is what it is. Virginia goes on the road on Tuesday, and look what happens against James Madison. But that's beside the point. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Road games are road games. Right. But then you you get Texas Tech here, and you take their punches, and you beat them. And they had a nice win last night against Tennessee. So... Oh, I, I pity anyone who actually watched that game start to finish. Oh up. boy, was it was it rough? It was peach basket type oh, stuff. Oh baby, they were tied at the end of regulation, forty four forty four. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, <laughs> peach basket. That's good. Oh yeah, yeah. That, like this, like the things you see at the Hall of Fame in Springfield. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh boy, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. This was a game from the fifties. Yikes. Yeah, and in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Not good. What's the lowest scoring game you've ever seen? This is a side note. Oh God! And this doesn't have to be college. This could be high school too. Oh, I'm sure. I'm. I. I. I you know, I covered a Cranston East Cranston West game one year that sticks out. It was a 33-32 final, boys. Um, and that was hard to watch. It was at Cranston East. Both teams were very good. Um, and they were playing so hard against each other in a packed gym. I think. In rivalry games, and we talked about this leading up to PCURI, I tend to think the defenses win out in spots like that because guys are playing so out of their skin that they're going to stop what you're doing offensively. You are not going to get a rebound. You're not going to get an open shot. There's going to be no room to get to the rim because guys are trying that extra 5% harder. But then at the other end of the floor, you're so keyed up, you can't make a shot. Yeah. You make bad decisions, you turn it over, you throw it out of bounds. You're, you're just so jacked from the occasion, from the crowd, from the opponent you're playing. I, I just don't think it's conducive to playing great offensive basketball. I think it skews the other way. Bill, I covered high school basketball in Maine. Yes. No shot clock, correct? There is no shot clock. See, I, I just I dismiss that out of hand, quite frankly. I know. That's not basketball. I know. It's just not. I know. I was shocked the older I got when I heard from friends out of state, whether who I went to college with or media colleagues or whoever else, that Rhode Island was one of the minority states that had a shot clock. Mm-hmm. I That shocks me. Me too. I don't understand. Me too. But I witnessed a high school basketball tournament game. I believe it was the first round. And... It was Jonesport Beals, and um, I can't remember the other team, but um, Jonesport Beals had uh, a kid named Garrett Beal who ended up playing at UMaine. Okay. He was best player in the state that year. Sure. The other team decided their game plan was to take the air out of the basketball. Yeah, right. And they won. I, it was in the teens. I, I'm going to put it at like 16, 12, something like that. That's, I'll never forget it. That's terrible. I will never, ever forget watching that game and I was just I was like you know I get if if that's the rules and you're a coach that's the way you do it right um if you're everybody else watching this high school basketball tournament you're like well the best player in the state just got knocked out because the other team took the air out of the ball it's that terrible. really that really stinks terrible 
Yeah, so there's been ugly basketball before. I have seen uglier than 44-44, but that is pretty darn ugly. (laughs) Anyways, tangent is done. The point was uh, the Friars came into Saturday battle-tested, Bill, and they had played some power opponents, and so when they took these shots from URI, when they took these runs, they were able to gather themselves, and they've been able to do this a lot, even in some of the games that they played before, you know, playing some of these power opponents. You know, whether it's, I don't know, Sacred Heart at home or Fairfield or anybody that's come through, yeah, they're going to take punches. They're going to take shots. It's just the Friars have been able to handle them time and time again, and it's why they're 9-1 and one and in the spot that they're in, feeling very good about their, their non-conference slate and the way they've played. Yeah, Providence uh, got off to a quick start again on Tuesday night. Uh, they ended up beating Vermont 68-58. Uh, that was the A.J. Reeves and Nate Watson show, the, the one-two punch there. Uh, who you would have expected to see all the way along. Uh, you know, the two guys who have been in the program the longest. Reeves had 24 points. He was 6 for 10 from 3. It's great to see him knock some shots down. Confident, too, Bill. Really, really confident. Yep. You know, on that game, he just, when he had the ball in his hands, it was like he felt like it was one of those nights where he wanted it because he knew he had it going, and that's a scary thing if you're the, oppose, the opposing team. You know, he adds four assists and no turnovers in 33 minutes. That's his best game of the season by far. Uh, Nate Watson rebounds to 24 points on 10 for 12 shooting. Uh, three rebounds, three assists. Three assists matched his season total through first nine games. Oh, he got a fist bump from Ed Cooley in, in the, the post game. I saw that. That was, that was a great clip that uh, Eric Rube posted on his Twitter account. Uh, Ed Cooley looking a little surprised that Nate Watson had three assists in the game, uh, you know, which which was kind of a cool moment <laughs> between the two of them. Uh, you know, Coit, I, I look at Nate Watson, and you're after the URI game, and, and Ed Cooley says Ed Croswell is currently outplaying a preseason all-conference selection and, uh, you know, probably deserves a little more time and whatever else. I don't necessarily think it's a coincidence that Nate Watson bounces back in the next game and has one of his better games in a couple of weeks. And I think when you're a coach and you have a certain relationship with players and you have a finger on the pulse of said players, I think you understand how to communicate with guys, how to draw a reaction from them. I don't think Ed was really poking the bear, let's say, but I think he made it very clear publicly, which I'm sure he did privately before he spoke to us, that they need more from Nate Watson if they're going to be a good team. And here you are Tuesday night. And there's more in 28 minutes. Well, I think what happened here was Nate was seeing a lot more of the double team. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably frustrating him. And so I think the push that that Ed Cooley probably gave to Nate was, well, okay, stop being frustrated by it and work on it. Right. Work on defeating it. Work on getting three assists by setting up your teammates, by – touching the ball in the paint, and then kicking it out to an open A.J. Reeves so he can hit a three. Right. That's, I think, where he was giving a little nudge, maybe, to Nate. And, look, we know Nate's a fabulous player. And you get frustrated when two guys, when you're all you're getting all the attention from these teams, Texas Tech was trying to take, basically just taking away Watson and saying, beat us with somebody else. Right. Which they did, which is a credit to the Friars, but... Nate wants to get more involved. He's he's going to see these double teams. He's their best player. He's the best player on the floor for Providence. So Nate takes the couple of days. He he said it in the post game last night. He worked on it. He worked on it with AJ. He worked on it with other teammates. And look at what happens. You know. And I think early on in that game, 
I think Vermont was giving him some single coverage, which I think you know Coach Becker probably figured out right away. Like, ooh, okay, as good as his big man Davis is, sure. It's like you need. I got to put more attention on this kid, otherwise he's going to eat me alive all night. Yeah, probably uh, not the best idea. You're, you're hopeful that yeah. one guy can handle him because you're worried about the rest, but uh, realistically, you you do need two. Uh, Providence has one non-conference game left. That's on Saturday against Central Connecticut. They will be heavy favorites in that game at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and then they enter exam break, uh, and that's prior to their Big East opener at UConn, which is next Saturday, the 18th. The Hurley Bowl. Hurley Bowl. <laughs> going to be interesting. The Hurley Bowl uh, team that, that Ed Cooley used to play against, or coach that Ed Cooley used to coach against when he was at Rhode Island, obviously, uh, for six seasons. And Ed had Dan's number. Yeah, he did. Dan was 1-5 against yeah, Ed. Yeah, he did. He did. Only won, only won the last one. Dan's got, you know, he's, he's got a squad this year, though. Only won the last one. If they're healthy. If they're healthy. I think, is Sonogo on his way back? or Sonogo, Tyrese Martin is pushing to play against St. Bonaventure. Wow. Never mind against Providence. Yep. He, he wants the Bonnies. Yep. Uh, you know, so we will go to Dan Hurley's former home, and that is Rhode Island. Uh, they bounce back with a 72-62 win over Sacred Heart on Tuesday. Uh, a game, quite where honestly they, they looked a little... Uh, dispirited in the first half, a little lackluster. That was the word David Cox used post game. Uh, they trailed the Pioneers by two at the break. Uh, they were down seven early. Well, and he, uh, David Cox did the, you know, what we we have seen from Ed Cooley when he gets frustrated. David Cox did the uh, the line change. He made a line change. Yeah, he did. After the first TV timeout, he changed all five players on the floor. Oh boy. Uh, you know, he was looking for a certain response, uh, didn't necessarily get it until the second half uh, when URI shot 64% from the field. They made all five of their three-pointers in the game in the second half. Uh, they put Malik Martin uh, into the defensive stopper role on Tyler Thomas. Uh, Tyler Thomas ended up with 30 points. He's one of the better players in the NEC. He's a leading scorer in that league coming in. But he went an 11-minute span in the second half without a field goal, and, and that's where you or I made their move, uh, and that was Malik Martin doing a good job on Tyler Thomas. You had enough offensive contributions from the rest of the roster, five players in double figures, Mikhail Mitchell with 14, Ish Leggett with eight of his 12 in the second half. Ish Elamin did not take a shot in the first half. He scored all 11 of his points in the second half. So you're, you're looking at Rody, They bounce back. Uh, from the loss at Providence, um, they have a period here, Coit, where they only have one game in 12 days. That's at Milwaukee on Monday. And I know they have exams, but I, I look at this for URI with a, a light schedule. The next 23 days, actually, you play Milwaukee, Charleston, and Brown. Those are your only three games before your conference opener against Dayton. Is this a chance that maybe you get a run of practices and you might see that jump that Ed Cooley always talks about when you go into exam break and then Christmas break. Yes, it, it is. And I think one of the things that they're going to probably look at and try to figure out based on just the minute split, and you can speak more to this because you were down there at the Ryan Center last night, Bill, is I think working on – the defense is going to be there. I, I think we – just judging by the highlights that I saw, you know, when they turn up the, the heat defensively, I think they can go to another level. I think they have that in their bag, mm-hmm. whether it's Malik Martin being a stopper, whether it's the Mitchell twins you know, protecting the rim. you know, Those guys have that in the bag, and that's something that I think a lot of it probably was effort and energy, and you could sort of see that in the second half. Yep. 
I think it's offensively is where they're going to try to figure some things out. And who is going to be the lead guy with the basketball in his hands? And I just say that you can speak more to this, judging by the minutes that Jeremy Shepard got last night and what happened there. Mm. Yeah, 12 minutes for Jeremy Shepard, uh, a preseason third-team All-Atlantic 10 selection. 12 minutes, three points, one field goal. Uh, Sebastian Thomas, on the other hand, the freshman, Providence native, uh, former Bishop Hendrickson star, career-high 25 minutes, career-high five assists, career-high four rebounds in this game. Had four turnovers. David Cox said, sure, freshman mistakes. Those are going to happen. I wanted energy on the floor. Thomas right now looks like their best pure point guard. Yep. I don't necessarily know where that leaves your ceiling as a team going forward. You know, like, is he an all-conference type guy? Can he match up with the Kyle Loftons and the Jacob Gilliards of the world? I don't know that. That's further in the future. You would expect no because those guys are older and they've played a lot more. A lot of experience. And they have a little more pedigree like Shepard does. What this is designed to do, similar to what Providence did with Ed Croswell and Nate Watson, you need a response from Jeremy Shepard. You need him to show that he's going to do some things that affect winning beyond scoring. I look at his 12 minutes last night. One rebound, no assists, one steal. What else did he do besides his three points? His last five games, he has three steals. Previous five, he had 12. So you're looking at his assist rate falling a little bit. Defensively, is he really digging into the passing lanes? Is he really guarding guys hard? I don't know that. They're watching film based on that. They would see that better than me. But I generally look and I say, on good teams, guys are able to do more than score to affect winning. I look at Providence, two of their best wins of the year, Wisconsin and Texas Tech. A.J. Reeves had eight rebounds in both games. Yes, he did. Didn't necessarily shoot it all that well. Wasn't all that efficient on offense. But what did he do? He gave you some dirty work yeah. at the other end. Yep. He played like an older guy should. Jeremy Shepard's mid-20s. Sebastian Thomas is a teenager. He's a child by comparison. You need your older guys to lead, and, and that's not just scoring the ball. That is effort. It's dirty work. It's blue-collar stuff. I think David Cox sent his uh, veteran guard a very clear message last night. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and I wonder with this break here you know with with jeremy i i i think that they they want to put some of those you know handling the basketball duties in his hand obviously being an older guy um but offensively does this give sebastian thomas a chance to sort of look at what he's been doing so far for them and maybe take on a little bit more responsibility as time goes on maybe work on some things when you have more practice time before you go into conference play because I look at a kid like Alan Breed last year who was thrust into a role where he had to handle the basketball a little bit more, yeah. and he responded for Providence. He did. And Sebastian so far, to me, he has he has the trajectory, I think, of... Here's my, here's my, my equation, you know, equating things to football here. Um, Mac Jones. Sure. When he came in with the Patriots, did they think this year that he was going to be the starting quarterback week one? I don't know necessarily when they drafted him or they brought him in right away. They thought that. That's why they brought Cam Newton back. Right. But as training camp went on, as they played preseason games, as they threw more at him, it was clear to them that, boy, 
I think I think we need to hand it over to this kid. Maybe in the short term there'll be some growing pains, but I think we need to hand it over to him now because I think he will give us down the road the best option, you know, to the best chances to win. And look at how it's paid off for the Patriots right now. Winners of seven straight. I equate that to you know Sebastian Thomas. Everything they've thrown his way, they thought he was going to be a redshirt, right? And now they've been throwing more and more at him. Goes to the dunk, emotional game. Kid from Rhode Island playing at the Dunkin' Donuts Center against Providence and gives you energy, gives you gives you the, the types of things you need off the bench. I mean, to me, he's getting better and better here. So do they put more responsibility on Sebastian Thomas's shoulders? Sebastian Thomas, to that point, Coit, was plus 11 against Providence. Yeah. Elamine and Shepard were minus 48 combined. Wow. So there are you two veteran guys who are supposed to be carrying the mail yeah. who basically didn't show. Yeah. And here's the kid who's playing on the floor in the middle of the run in the first half, facilitating mm-hmm. in the middle of that run. Now, he's, as I said, if he's your full-time point guard, you are a little bit limited because he struggles to shoot the ball. Sure. Opposing defenses are going to react to that. Um, you know, They're going to sag off and maybe not give him a driving lane to drive and kick. Um, you know, they might you know, start to play his left hand. Oh, there goes your we cell phone charging. We had a technical charging. issue in the studio on a crash. <laughs> My cell phone charging crashes. Uh, pay no attention. Yep. Um, you, you have someone who might be limited in terms of his offensive skill set, in terms of the maximum he can give you. And you look at Jeremy Shepard and you say, he could shoot the ball very well. He could score 20 points in a game. He brings that along with the other stuff. So sure. you want to get him right. But it is very interesting to, to see you or I do that uh, on Tuesday night against Sacred Heart. And, and this period does give them, with so limited games and so much practice time coming up, it, it should give them a little bit of time to tinker a little. Yeah, I think tinkering is, is the word. Yeah, because I, I don't think you can throw everything you know, at Thomas. I don't want to suggest that because it, it is a lot to, to step in there as a freshman and, and take on that. But And also the fact that I think Jeremy is a very good player. He was preseason all-conference for a reason. Right. But do they do a little bit more in terms of maybe freeing Jeremy off handling the point duties a little bit more, get him off the ball a little bit more, and maybe just give Sebastian Thomas a little bit more in terms of setting him up and setting up guys like Elamine? Maybe. Maybe that's the way to – maybe that helps. Maybe that helps Jeremy get going. Maybe that helps him, you know, just take a little bit of the load off of his shoulders because – he didn't have it all on his shoulders when Fats was here last year. No. You know, and I think having another guy to offset some of those duties could absolutely help down the road here. No, I, I don't necessarily think that you can ever have too many good players. I, I am a fan of a rotation and usually a tight one because I think it gives you role definition. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have nine or ten guys who can play at an elite level, go ahead and play them all. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, and I, I, I have no problem with that. And I think Jeremy will respond to this. Uh, I think I think David Cox knows that he can get that sort of response out of Jeremy. That's why he's he did what he did last night, and I think I think you're going to see it here at, at some point. Uh, third men's team in the area played on Tuesday night. That was Brown. They went to Merrimack and really took care of the Warriors in this game. I was kind of surprised by the final, Coit. 76-56. Uh, the Bears just you know, really dominating this game, uh, crushed Merrimack on the glass, and, and that's what jumped out to me. Uh, 41 rebounds to 21, 15 at the offensive end. Um, you know, turn those into into second chance points. Nineteen to five advantage for Brown on second chance points. I think that's where this game was won. Uh, you saw Jalen Ganey wake up a little bit in this game, which was nice. Seventeen points, 
eight for eight from the field. It's good to see the big guy dominating in the middle of that Merrimack zone. Uh, Tamanoncho, 11 points, nine rebounds, just shy of a double-double. We should congratulate T on his 1,000th career point, uh, which he netted last week at home against UMass Lowell, uh, which had to be such a nice feeling for him to do that in front of friends and family uh, back in Massachusetts. Um, you know, and that earned him the Ivy League Player of the Week honors, which uh, you know, suggests that he is healthy, that mm-hmm. that hip injury is further and further into his rearview mirror, and his team is actually on a nice little run right now. Brown is up to 8-4. and four. Um, They've won four straight. They host Vermont on Friday, a, a team that you saw, Coit, against the Friars. Uh, you know, I think Brown is, is sort of rounding into form here. They uh, the last two games specifically, Bill, the offense has been very good, and it's because of the ball movement and it's because of the shot selection too. Mm-hmm. They've been able to move the ball around and get when they even when they miss, they've been getting really good looks against Sacred Heart. I thought every I can't remember a, like a really bad shot taken in that game. There weren't many. The only nitpick I think Mike Martin had was maybe some of the late turnovers, but I think that was just very nitpicky because I think they they were allowing like the Pioneers maybe to just hang around like a little bit toward the end of the game. That's probably why he was thinking that. Mm-hmm. And this was right after post-game talking to him, so those things are very clear in his mind. Of course. Um, but I think the offense was something that they were trying to get, get going um, you know, a little bit more consistently, and I think Brown has done that with the way they've been able to move the basketball around and have a lot of different guys contribute. And speaking to your point about Ganey and Cho, they also have another guy down there with size in Nana Awusu-Anane who provides them a lot of front court depth. Yeah. There's a lot of depth there. And I thought, I thought the key stretch in the Sacred Heart game was early in the second half. As good as the ball movement was, as good as they were shooting – you know, they shot 62% from the field in the first half of that game. It was imposing their will in the paint early in the second half that I thought helped them create the separation and put away Sacred Heart in that game Sunday. I think last night you just saw it way more because I think Jalen was he was dominant. Merrimack came out really cold. Um, and I think there were a lot of different guys like Aquino Lilly has just such a been such a great player off the bench for them. Yeah. You want to talk about energy and, you know, slowing down Tyler Thomas as you were talking about with URI. I thought on Sunday when Thomas was going off early in the game against Brown, I think when Brown went to its bench and they bring in a guy like a Kimo Ferrari who was just he's a gnat defensively. Yep. And, you know, Kino Lilly comes in, Nana comes in, you know, those guys I think helped slow down Thomas a little bit. Give him different looks. They did have Aaron Clark for that game, and he did help keep them in that game because he's a very experienced and tough player for Sacred Heart. Yep. But there's just there was a lot of contributions from a lot of different guys for Brown, and the front court depth I think is going to be really key for them as they enter Ivy League play because having three guys with size that can help you in a lot of different ways, you know, couple that with some of the good guard play you've gotten from Keno Lilly, from Dan Friday, from Paxson Wojcik. This is why Mike Martin was bullish about this team early in the season, and you're starting to see it come together a little bit. Well, and it's because you have options, and the same three guys don't need to play. They don't need to be great every single night for you no, to win. Don't. It's it's not a must to have. Uh, 
you know, you, you mentioned the turnovers. 18 is too many. I'm sure Mike Martin would look at that. That's a great thing to have on coach's tape. <laughs> right. uh, you know, because you, you get to go in the next game and, and say, all right, guys, you know, you think you were great and perfect in this game. Look at this. Look at this possession. Look at that possession. You know, coaches like that sort oh, of, of thing. They, they like do. to poke at their teams a little bit. Um, Sunday, Brown, a 79-66 win over Sacred Heart. You mentioned it, Coit. Uh, shot close to 60% from the field mm-hmm. for the game. How's 21 for 26 from two sound? Mm-hmm. Really good. Pretty good. Because Pretty they were moving the ball inside. around. They were moving the ball around and getting good looks. Like I said, I can't remember many bad shots. And they've made 10 three-pointers exactly in back-to-back games, which says that they can stretch it to the perimeter as well. Uh, they will be challenged against Vermont. Uh, they are a one-point dog, according to Ken Palm. So that's a coin flip type game. Uh, Vermont, obviously, with a local product, Justin Missoula, who started against the Friars, uh, you know, was was typical Justin Missoula in that game. He's physical. He sticks his nose in there. He's bigger now. Looks strong, He's right? He's bigger. Kevin yeah. McNamara posted a picture on Twitter, and I was like, ooh, Justin's been in the weight room. He, uh, that, uh, yeah, I was like, wow, that's Justin? Holy yeah. cow. Like, they really bulked him up, and I think it helps in terms of the role that he has for that team because he had two points against Providence, but what stood out to me with Justin was he was doing the dirty work. He was grabbing boards. He was throwing the ball ahead, setting up teammates. Like, that's what Justin does. I think that's a strength of his. You're, you're going to take seven rebounds and three assists from a, a pseudo guard just about every time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's – you're not going to complain about that. Nope. Uh, you know, Brown and Vermont tipping on Friday at the pits at the 7 o'clock game on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Coit, we'll round this off with Bryant uh, as we finish our whip through the four men's teams in the state. Uh, Bryant will be thrilled to be home Wednesday night against New Hampshire because they just went through – a two-game road swing that we knew just on the schedule was going to be a difficult challenge, uh, and it played out maybe harder on the floor than, than they might have anticipated. Uh, a loss at Houston, 111-44. to uh, Cougars team that was in the Final Four last year and looked every bit like it in that game. Uh, they followed up with a better effort at Cincinnati, but a 73-58 defeat on Sunday. Uh, Bryant is a team right now, Coit, we, we mentioned this on the last pod, they're just searching a little bit. They, they can't necessarily find it right now. This is not their best basketball. Jared Grasso knows it. Um, they need a few games here to get well before they open up NEC play on the 29th against Central Connecticut. Yeah, and I think they need some shots to fall, too. Um, I think that, that will go a long way in helping to, to fix some things. Um, you know, I think cutting down on some of the you know sloppy possessions, because they've had a lot of those, uh, will help. And... You know, they finished the year last year, Bill, shooting 38% from three. So far this season, so far, it's down to 28%. That's, and that's something that when you're doing the, the, the pace, you know, offense that, that Bryant likes to run when they have good shooters like Peter Kiss, Chris Childs, you know, guys that can knock down shots and knock down the three, mm. that number has to come up. It has to be better. And I think they're good enough shooters where it's going to come up. It's going to fall at some point for them. And I think at some point here, too, they've dealt with a lot in the non-conference. They had an illness go through the team. That threw them off a little bit. Um, you know, trying to figure figure some things out in terms of, you know, who's handling the basketball primarily for them as well. Um, I think they've gone through some of those growing pains here as a unit. And Jared knows that it doesn't matter what the score was at Houston. It doesn't matter what... Happened at Cincinnati. They were in the Cincinnati game, and give them a lot of credit for they that. They were. They, they were. Yeah. Um, you know, I think just 
kind of weathering some of the the storm that that comes along with a team making a push like that. I think is something that Bryant will, will obviously want to handle, uh, you know, a bit better when conference play comes around. Because it was very similar to the way the roadie game played out with Bryant too. Like they were in the game for about 25, 30 minutes, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, the team that they're playing makes a run, pulls away, and you're not able to respond. You sort of run out of gas. Um, you know, I think as long as that's not happening in NEC play, which I think Jared is going to make sure that that doesn't happen. You know, the focus there is now, okay, we need to be ready and not let those things happen when NEC play comes around. Well, NEC roster construction is a little different. If, if you look at Sacred Heart against URI on Tuesday, uh, the tallest player they started was 6'6". Six, six. Yeah. They, they essentially had five guards on the floor. Um, when you play against the Cincinnati's and the URI's and the Providence's of the Houston, world, Houston, Houston, oh, of course, huge. You're dealing with bigger conference teams. They recruit bigger, more physical guys. They just lean on you over the course of time. They can score in the paint, so it's easier for them to be consistent. You look at Bryant, you mentioned the shooting, Coity. Uh, five straight games where they have not reached double digits in threes. Um, this is a team that shot almost 38% from three last year. They were top 20 team in the nation from the perimeter. Uh, you know, So they haven't necessarily had that touch so far this year. Uh, still searching for some continuity among their guards. We've talked about the point guard question there. You you wonder if guys are getting the ball in spots where they're comfortable to shoot. Um, you know if the offense is flowing the way you would like it to. Um, you know essentially not doing much inside. Uh, you know from the standpoint of getting much easy, whether it's all Elijahs, Greg Calixt. Um, you know they've found it difficult to get going. Inside, I think because a lot of these teams just haven't had to honor the perimeter shot so far. Bryant's been a very much a volume shooting team, and not necessarily a team who's really hurt you from out there. Right, and that's it'll change. I think it'll change at some point here. Um, and again, I think Jared's focus now is like at some point he looked at the non-conference and he said, "Okay, it's good to have these challenges, but my focus is going to be we need to be ready." And I think it was it was actually. There was a similar quote or something along these lines when the illness was going through the team, and I think they had lost to Clemson, where Jared just said, "I just it's you know at that point it was November, it's November, I need to be ready for late December, January, February, like that's when we need to be hitting our stride." That's and right. so I think he's looking at it and saying, "We need to come home, we need to get well, we need to uh, you know figure some things out here while we're home." And then when NEC play comes around, that's when we need to be at our best and ready to go. You know, and Jared being a, a professional coach, uh, an astute college basketball observer, I'm sure he would have noticed the net rankings coming out on Monday, and those certainly color his opinion in this way. Bryant plays in a one-bid league in the NEC, as we know. Uh, Brown likely plays in a one-bid league in the Ivy League, as we know. Um, but they are significant for Providence and for URI. Uh, you know, two teams that traditionally have played in multiple bid leagues where you do not need to win the conference tournament. Uh, and so we take a quick peek at where our locals are situated. Providence this morning, 31 in the net, very strong position. Uh, they're in great at-large shape right now if the NCAA tournament field were to be picked later this afternoon. Uh, URI's at 84 in the net. They have some work to do. We'll circle back to whether or not they will have opportunities to do said work. Uh, Brown is at 131, and Bryan is at 288. So, obviously, the Ivy League and the Northeast Conference, two two leagues where you need to win the conference tournament to go to the NCAA tournament. Um, but, Coit, just looking at Providence, and, and I'll go over to Ken Palm 
we talked about their schedule earlier uh, with PC and the fact that they have played some really difficult games already. You're looking at Wisconsin, Northwestern, Texas Tech, Rhode Island, and Vermont are all top 100 games. Uh, and Virginia as well. They're 5-1 mm-hmm. and one in those games. Mm-hmm. It's not a coincidence that they're 31 in the net. They've played reasonably well metrically. They're 49 in Ken Palm, which measures your efficiency. Does not measure your strength of schedule or strength of victories or whatever else. Mm-hmm. It measures quite simply how good you are scoring the ball, defending the opponent, turnovers, shooting, that sort of thing. And they, they melt all that into a pot and kick out that number. But if you look at the quality of opponents that Providence has played and the chances that they have going forward, in the Big East, the amount of Quadrant 1 opponents they will have there. Providence is in very good position at this point. Really good. I mean, you could go... <laughs> I mean, you could go 500 in Big East play, and you've got yourself a shot. If it's the right 500, yeah. Right, sure. That's right. Yeah, it's... it's You're battle-tested, and I think you'll do better than that if you're Providence, just because of the experiences you've gotten in the non-conference. Just, again, the maturity that this team has shown has been really... Uh, it's striking. I, I guess that's a word, but you know, it, it's it's been impressive because I think last year they, at times when teams would make pushes, whatnot, and even the year before in non-conference play, before they went on that tremendous stretch in February, they beat five, six ranked teams. They they weren't able to take a push from you know. A.J. Broder and Penn comes to the dunk and beats Providence. They're not able to take that push. Right. You know, they have a game against Northwestern. They have a game near Thanksgiving against Long Beach State. They're not able to take the punches from some of these teams that they have more talent than. Now, they take these punches. They take these stretches. Even in a game even in a game like when St. Peter's came here on that Saturday. And St. Peter's was sort of hanging around. And and giving you a couple of jabs, but yep. this Providence group just is able to sort of settle down, relax, go out there, knows what it needs to do to get the game in hand, knows it needs a shot from somebody, somebody's got to get a good look, Nate's got to get a paint touch, something along those lines, and it's showing in the way that they're playing, the victories that they have, and now in the metrics too, and that's that's a tremendous. You're in tremendous shape going into conference play. Villanova, UConn, Seton Hall, Providence, Xavier, all in the top 33 of the net as we sit here this morning. Marquette is at 67, so that would be a quadrant one win on the road mm-hmm. as we sit here this morning, uh, not at home. So you're looking at Providence with some great opportunities going forward, and I, I agree with you, Coy. So long as you don't, for some reason, stumble against Central Connecticut and and. Quite honestly, I think you and I could play in that game and they'd still be able to beat Central Connecticut. Knock on wood. No disrespect to the Blue Devils. Sorry, I, I did just disrespect yes, you. you. Did. I, I did. That was bad. I apologize. Yeah. Very bad by me. Yeah. Um, I can't shoot that well. So. No, I know. It's yeah. not good. Um, you know, But after that, realistically, 12-8 and eight in the Big East will get you in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. At the very least, it's getting you to date. Yeah. Uh, I mean, unless all these teams decide that you know, they're basically just going to collectively shut it down, and like the top six teams in the in the league are twelve and eight, which isn't going to happen. No, you're going to have some quality wins among those twelve. So if if you're Providence, you've done exactly what you needed to do to this point. You're in very good shape. Uh, if you're Rhode Island, a little less rosy, Coit. Yeah, it's it's a little less rosy, but you know, for Rhodey, if they can. You know, I, I look at their road now, and even just based on their schedule, I sort of looked at it this way. You know, if they can go into the Atlantic 10, and, and it's an Atlantic 10 that, you know, besides Bonnie's, 
Is there anybody that's really stepped forward, big standout team in the Atlantic 10? No. Not really. And Rhode Island has maybe one of the more experienced teams. And so if you can figure some things out here, take this break that you're going to have and, you know, tweak the things that you want to tweak, work on the things you want to work on. You know, if you're Rhode Island, the goal going into conference play, I think, is if you can get yourself to Friday, get yourself to a top four seed in the Atlantic 10 tournament, you know, because I think an at-large is going to be, I, I just don't know if you're going to get it unless you beat Bonnie's twice, maybe, but even then it's not, you know, do they even play, they play them once or twice? Uh, only once. Just once? Only once because because you struggled so much last year mm-hmm. going 10 and 15 that you're out of the cartel. Okay. At this point. Yeah. But I think that's that's the goal. You know, you want to peak at the right time. Um, if you can get yourself, you know, into that top four in the Atlantic 10, not to look too far down the road, but I think that's the road to the NCAA tournament. So you have to have a good regular season in the A-10 to do that, peak at the right time, figure out the things you want to figure out, and go from there. I think that's that's the realistic sort of road, I think, for Rhode Island. Right now, the A-10 as a whole has two quadrant one wins yeah. among their 14 teams. Dayton has both of them. Kansas and Belmont on neutral floors. Dayton also has losses at home to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, and Austin I was going to say, they've got, some, they've got some bad losses on their record, Dayton too. would not be an NCAA team at this point, either. Uh, you look at the A-10 in the net. Davidson is at 52. St. Louis is at 72. VCU is at 74. As the URI schedule stands right now, they would play two Quadrant 1 games in conference. That would be at Davidson and at VCU. Okay. And otherwise, you've got a lot of Quadrant 2s and Quadrant 3s and things that aren't necessarily going to help unless you pretty much run the table. I, but I think you have an experienced team. You have some experienced players where if you can have a good conference, a good conference run and, again, get to where you need to get to, you can set yourself up and maybe you pick off a team or two. That's the thing. If you get yourself to that Friday, and that's that double bye in the A-10 tournament, right. it sets you up for a run. Because having to play... Because we've seen a David Cox team go on a run in the A-10 tournament. Sure. It's just that they started on what? Wednesday or Thursday? And by the time they get to the semifinal, they were gassed. Played Thursday, beat LaSalle. Yep. And then they beat VCU. And they beat VCU on the Friday. They were lost gassed. to St. Bonaventure on the Saturday. Gassed yeah, they were by Saturday. Gassed. That's right. And, and that's the thing. If you can... You have a roster that can do it. You do. You have experienced players. So it's about them stepping forward, playing well. And who knows? Maybe you pick off one of those teams that you just mentioned that's, that's got the quadrant one opportunity, and maybe that helps what you, with what you want to do here. So if you or I are playing for seeding in the conference, you're not necessarily playing for seeding in the NCAA tournament. And, and if you look at their non-conference schedule and, and what they put together here, um, this wasn't hard enough. It right. wasn't hard enough. In terms of getting back to March, per se. Right, and that you didn't have those opportunities. Providence was your first Quadrant 1 opportunity for a win. Your only one. Right. So it's Your only top 100 opponent. That's why I think it's realistic to say this is the road to where you know, URI would... They'd have to be... I think at this point, they would probably have to be a bid stealer. They yeah, would. They would. You're, you're right. Yeah. You're right. That's exactly what it would be. But I think they can do that with a good conference run. Potentially. Yep. Uh, you know, Brown is third in the net in the Ivy League. Cornell and Princeton are ahead of them. They're actually ahead of Harvard, ahead of Yale. Um, 
which is a little surprising. Way <laughs> way ahead of Penn. Penn's yeah. 214 on the net. Um, you know, obviously that doesn't matter as much in the Ivy League, but you know, I, I look at Brown winning four in a row and, and sort of, you know, finding like getting getting Tam and Chell back into the rotation is so important and the fact that they were able to do it well in advance of Ivy League play, I, I think that gives Mike Martin a lot more time to just cultivate his rotation and figure out who he wants them to be. I, I think that was really important that they got him back for the Paradise Jam so far ahead of their Ivy League opener against Penn. And I, I think you figured out some of the, you know, roles and what these guys can do, where you want to insert them into the game, you know, when you want to bring in Kino and Chemo, when you want, you know, okay, you know, Nana is going to, you know, handle, you know, things in the front court while T gets a break. And they, that just speaks to your depth. Like that's, they figured, I think, some of those things out, what they want to do, and not necessarily, you know, okay, they may make some tweaks here as Ivy League play goes on, but I think you know the sort of rotation that you have, what these guys are going to bring, and it's a it's a good certainty to have as you enter, you know, your your conference schedule. You know, we mentioned Brown, uh, you know, playing Vermont on Friday. Bryant is going to play New Hampshire, and then any more for Bryant? Let's see. Uh, at Stony Brook on Saturday, gotcha. which is an, an interesting game. Stony Brook, not a bad team. Um, three and four so far, but beat Sacred Heart, beat Yale, which mm-hmm. is a nice win for Stony Brook. Uh, you know, Stony Brook has some familiar names there. One you might recognize, Jaleel Jenkins. Yeah, wow. Former Fairleigh Dickinson guard. Yep. They also have Frankie Policelli, who started his career at Dayton, uh, is a New York area kid. Um, you know, so Stony Brook will not be a team that, that Bryant will just be able to dismiss easily. Uh, that'll be a good challenge for them going on the road. Yeah, just find some consistency is what they want to find. And, um, you know, you've had some good moments this season, like going to Brown and beating them on Black Friday was a nice moment for Bryant. It's a very nice win. But then following it up with a tough turnover in overtime and losing on your home floor to Dartmouth was not a great moment. I, I thought they'd be able to take that forward. They haven't necessarily. Right. Uh, you know, they've lost the next three games after that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I definitely saw a spot where they could turn. Didn't necessarily happen. Uh, you know, so you wonder what you'll see out of Brian against uh, their opponents from the north on Wednesday night. Uh, quite quick flip to the women's side. Uh, we have an in-state matchup on Wednesday at 6 p.m. at the Pisatola Center. Providence visiting Brown. Uh, the Friars, actually our first program in the state to begin conference play. Uh, the Friars beating Villanova on Friday, 66-47, a, a game where Alyssa Geary really played well. Uh, Janae Crooms really played well. The Rhode Island native um, finished without a turnover, 10 points, 8 rebounds. It's a pretty efficient yeah. effort by Janae um, they split their conference games this weekend. They lost to Georgetown on Saturday, uh, Sunday, sorry, in in a grinder. Um, you know, you're looking at, at Providence and Brown. PC will be favored in this game. Uh, Brown has the Ivy League Rookie of the Week in Amanda Lacani. Um, you know, but I, I look at I look at Providence as a team that's improving. They started one and four, won three straight games. Um, you know, took care of of Monmouth at home by 30. I think you come out of that game and you think, okay, it's there. All the stuff we talked about in practice and, and all the things that we felt good about coming into the year, it's there. Sometimes need, teams need that validation. You have another, you know, a little bit of a soft touch against Hart, uh, against Hartford. 
you win that game, and all of a sudden you have a conference game against Villanova, you go out, you play well. Mm -hmm. You win by 20. It's not rocket science, but when you feel good about yourselves, you play well. Yeah. Amazing. And I, you know, I wonder how Brown is going to come out in that game uh, against Providence because they had a nice win on the road at Holy Cross. That's right. The Holy Cross team that beat URI. That's right. Knocked them off the perch. Um, and I think for you know, Monique LeBlanc is is leading this program for the first season finally. Right. And for them to get a win like that, I think that can be something that they can build off of too. So you come home to the pits and. You know, here we are with Providence on our home court. Let's let's see what we can do. We're feeling pretty good about what we just did. Yep, Monique LeBlanc, Cumberland native, uh, previous coach at Merrimack, was a, a pretty prolific winner there. Uh, Merrimack, a team that's transitioning into Division One into the Northeast Conference. Uh, Monique received an offer to, to come home and uh, wisely took it uh, because she has a chance to, to build something here at Brown as they go forward. Um, URI also returning to action. On Wednesday night against Hartford, uh, Coity, URI women sort of hitting the wall a little bit here, as, as you alluded to, uh, started off 7-0 and and have since lost three straight games, um, dropped the championship game of the Cavalier Classic to Long Beach State, then lost at Holy Cross and lost at Buffalo. Uh, I know just talking to a few folks around the program, uh, they were more pleased with the effort at Buffalo, who is a good team. Uh, they were not happy with the effort at Holy Cross. Uh, you know that was a second straight game where they lost the third quarter decisively. Came out of halftime, didn't necessarily have that sort of zip that you would expect out of a Tammy Reese team. Um, you know, and now they find themselves, you know, sort of looking for a little bit of confidence. They've got Hartford, Maine, Boston University, and then a long break before they start A10 play against Dayton on New Year's Day. Adversity, Bill. It's, it's adversity. That's a that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have adversity. Um, and I want to win every game. Yeah, I, I, I know, know. I, I know. But if you're, I think, I think Tammy would probably agree with the point of just having a little bit to to work on some some tape, something to look at and say, okay, well, we need to fix this. This needs to be better. Sure, you want to win every game, of course. But you know, I I think this is this is good for this squad that started out seven and zero. They were they were riding high. And, you know, you go through a rut. It happens in a season. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing that they were more pleased with the effort at Buffalo. That's a good thing. And hopefully they can carry that back to the Ryan Center tonight, playing a Hartford team. And you're going to get a nice challenge after the Hartford game with, uh, I know the, the program at Maine very, very well. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a, a program that's it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, it's a tough road trip. You play Sunday at 1 o'clock. Uh, I would imagine you travel to that one on Saturday and stay over and, and get up early and, and get ready. Uh, you know, that's that's not going to be an easy trip. Uh, Maine, obviously, when you're up there, they draw well. It's a real home court advantage. There's, there's a great amount of in-state pride in that program. That's a good game to have on your schedule in terms of a road test. Uh, you know, Coit, me being who I am, you gave a very mature response to that about overcoming adversity and you know, how you sort of need to take the long view and be patient. I, I'm a six-year-old boy. I want it now. I want to win now. I don't want anything to be hard. I, I just want to, I want all the success. And, yeah, I want to work for it a little bit. But I want it all to go my way every time. That's, I'm, I, I I'm, I'm a six-year-old child. I get it. You know, I, I want to bat 1,000 and throw every pitch for a strike and, you know, have, like, a new max every time I go to the weight room. Like, I, that's that's just who I am. Right. Which... I, I, which 
which might explain a lot about who I am. Not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's not. It's not great. Sure, it's not great. Yeah, whatever. Quite. What else you got? Anything? No. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've we've covered things efficiently here, Bill. All right. Good. Then we will uh, sign off on this edition of the pod. We thank you all for listening. Uh, our last couple episodes have done uh, better numbers than we've had previously it really at any point uh you know so we feel your passion we we appreciate your attention whether it's driving in the car on the way to games or, or in the office or in the gym uh you know we really thank you all for for tuning in uh you know this is fun for us we get a little outlet to, to sort of spitball here in the studio uh once or twice a week and uh we look forward to continuing to bring you the providence journals college basketball pod thank you all very much